Thank you, Tim. Good morning, fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, we're just delighted that you're here. My, my wife and I will be back in a little room right here called Guest Central right over here and would love to say hello to you and uh, welcome you here and answer any questions that, that, you might, that you might have. I do want to, want to underscore a couple of things this morning with you. Um, first of all, uh, Haiti and Matthew there, it's, uh, it's just really gut-wrenching to me. Haiti is the lowest per capita income in the Western Hemisphere, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And it just seems like, um, gosh, the earthquake. And uh, I think there's something, there was something like 50, 52,000 people still living in tents after that earthquake t- took place. Now, that's years ago. And, and now um, over 800 people lost their lives with a hurricane. So uh, pray, pray, pray for the nation of Haiti. Pray for the nation of Haiti. You know, there are people who have different ideas about the Haiti's history and this kind of thing. Well, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep and not to judge why they're weeping. And um, we need to weep for them. And there are many incredible ministries uh, there. Crawford Hitt and I were down there the other year, his ministry, EduPAC, and visiting some of the pastors and churches and You know, it's amazing when you have faces in your mind and you know some people out of place, how it grabs your heart. And so let's let's pray for the ministries that are there in Haiti, that the pastors, the Christian workers, and there's a lot of there's a lot of great gospel stuff going on on that island. And pray that God will work in a great way. And in fact, um, um, Crawford Hitt has presence down there with EduPAC, and through EduPAC, they have amazing relationships with some of the pastors there. And and I know that uh, his ministry is uh, funneling some resources. So if you want to make a donation to EduPAC, you can see him. He's right here today, and he'll tell you how to do that. But let's let's really really pray that God will work in a in a great in a great way. The other thing I want to say here is uh, about next Sunday evening, and I'm trusting that we'll have a really good turnout next Sunday evening. Um, we're doing this emphasis on diversity, ethnicity, and, and the integrity of the gospel. Let me tell you why we're doing this. Increasingly, God is sending us, and this is a great blessing. Uh, more people of color and diversity here in our church, which is a gift from our Lord. And uh, while we're here downstairs, Fellowship in Espanol uh, is going on. And these are uh, many are first-generation Hispanic and, and many are trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. And uh, the reason why we're doing this, and let me back up and just say a couple of things. One is that, you know... <laughs> Whether or not, and I I hope this doesn't sound like in your face, but whether or not we want to talk about diversity is an irrelevant issue. Because over the next uh, over the next ten years or so, we, we're living in that context. We're working in that context, and as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be able to model the desired destination. And by the way, that's the whole purpose of the church. The purpose of the church in human history is to be the visible light of the kingdom of God in all of society and to model to a watching world where the world needs to arrive. That is our role, and that's the prophetic place that we, we, we're to be. And so the church ought to be leading in these issues of morality and confusion in the culture and diversity and all this stuff. We ought to be the moral portrait an illustration 
of what it really means to live in harmony and love with one another. And uh, I'm not saying that there's no divisions here or this kind of thing, but next Sunday evening, the purpose of that evening is not to solve anything, not to come up with any structure or strategy, but to deepen the conversation. And, uh, you know, we, we, we love each other, but in order to love each other better, we have to know each other more. And so we, we, it's not just sitting together in services or sitting next to one another in our mid-sized community groups. It's loving one another, understanding what we wrestle with, how do we view these issues, what are the things that we're thinking about, so that we can pray together and love each other in a closer, uh, even deeper, more authentic way with one another and journey together about this. And it's family time. We need to be able to ask questions that we're thinking about in a non-judgmental environment. Uh, and so that's the reason why we're going to do this. And we're going to do it some more. Um, just enhance understanding and where we need to be. I got to tell you a little pet peeve that I have and I wrestled with and this frustration of mine. Uh, ever since, I don't say ever since I've been a believer, but for years I have been frustrated about the church and our brand of church, the evangelical community. Some of you have heard me say this. We typically ask, ask questions and answer questions that nobody's asking anymore. And that's a shame. God has raised us up to do better and to be better and to be those moral examples. And uh, certainly we can't expect the government to give us the solutions. We can't expect anybody else to give us the insights that we ought to have. God has it in his word, and so we need to know each other better, love each other more, deal with the questions that we have, and try to figure out how God wants us to move ahead. Amen? Amen. So looking forward to next Next Sunday, next Sunday evening. If you have a Bible, I want you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Before we get started, let's, let's have another word of prayer. Holy Father, we thank you and we love you for who you are. Thank you, Father, for the family here at Fellowship. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Thank you for the lives that are being changed, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Father, for those 100 uh, middle school kids who are on a, on a retreat this weekend. I pray, God, that you will do a deep work in their hearts and lives, bring them home safely. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that decisions that have been made there will just light a fire in the other relationships that they have. Pray this morning also, Lord, we know of some young church planters in our area of, of, of the city. I pray that you'll bless them. God knows that there are more people who need to be reached than ever before. And I pray that you'll encourage them and strengthen them. And as they continue to believe you, affirm the calling that they have and give them fruit that will remain. Now speak to our hearts, O oh God. This is not a very pleasant subject this morning. Uh, and yet at the same time, it is so desperately needed. All of us in varying degrees have been or will be or are afflicted with this disease of hero worship. And I pray that we will hear what Paul has to say about exalting Christ above personality. So speak to us, Lord. Take us to where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We just started a series last week on the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, it's a seven-part series on the book, and you say there's like 16 chapters in, Philipp- in, in uh, uh, Corinthians, and you're just doing seven messages. Well, it's sort of a survey thing, but there's seven big issues that uh, 
uh, sort of isolated from the book that I really believe that we need to speak to. We've entitled the series Practically Speaking. And Corinth represents, to a large degree, uh, the reality of church. Uh, that, that we are fallen people who've come to Jesus and sometimes we struggle with a bunch of issues and we've got to figure out how to, how to get there and how to represent what is godly and what is right about these things. Now, I've entitled the series, Practically Speaking, however, in a 10-cent word, the exegetically, probably more accurately, the theme of 1 Corinthians has to do with divisions in the church. There was a party spirit in the church and Paul deals with that and dealt with that last week. I want to connect the holes. This last week, it was interesting how he dealt with this whole idea of divisions in the church. He, he backs up and he really talks about the wisdom of the cross or the wisdom of God. And I made this observation. I really want us to get this. They got to be careful now that we do not, we do not take what, what we know about wisdom and assume that as far as God is concerned, his wisdom is always rational. That's not true. God's wisdom is not always rational. And Paul says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The weak things he has chosen. Why did he do that? Well, the statement is so that no flesh would glory in his presence. And the problem with divisions in the church and hero worship, you'll hear me say more about this uh, in a few moments. The problem with all of that is that it is nothing more than a demonstration of pride and arrogance. And that's not how God works in his church. Sorry. This is a supernatural place, and he works differently among us. And now we come to this next section. Actually, I suppose you could say this is part two of divisions in the church, but I've, 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 I've entitled this The Dangers of Hero Worship. The Dangers of Hero Worship. And this is not a stretch. Chapters, chapters three and four, Paul is very direct, and this is not warm and fuzzy stuff because he comes right out and says, hey, I need to confront this idolatry of hero worship here and talk about the dangers of it. And, and I need you to understand what this says about you. What this says about you. What this says about the church at Corinth, what this says about the person who has succumbed to this brand of hero worship. I, I read this quote, and I can't chase down the source of it. It's been around for a while, but um, this person said, if you want to admire someone fully, you should not look too closely. If you want to admire them smartly, you should brace yourself for at least some measure of disappointment. I learned an extraordinary important lesson when I was about 17 years old. I, uh, I started preaching when I was 16 years old, and I was uh, incredibly impressed and enamored by this one guest pastor who used to come to our little church in Plainfield, New Jersey, and preach, and he was an extraordinary preacher. He was amazing. Even today, this, how I preach, I got to tell you, some of the uh, seminal elements of that was sown by this man. He was phenomenal. And, and he would come to our little church, and I would listen to him. I was spellbound. But what happened was I found out about this. Uh, he had a moral failure. And can you imagine a 17-year-old, your hero, 
you hear about this, it devastated me. Devastated me. In fact, to be honest with you, it took me quite a while, quite a while to begin to build up trust for other leaders. I was at a very impressionable time in my life. But I thank God for that because it taught me a lesson. I finally recalibrated it and got it back into a place of healthy tension. But forever it taught me. And I can't tell you, I, I, I can't, to this very day, when I hear a friend falling, another great leader falling, another person that's been high on a pedestal and somebody's put them way up there and they take a tumble, I often go back to that experience. Remember that you got you you, you 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 to honor people, esteem people, uh, value them, but you only worship Jesus. You only worship, worship him. What is hero worship? Well, we all probably know what it is. It's placing someone on a pedestal, and they become who we want to be. It's nothing more than idolatry. And we live in a culture of hero worship. The, the driving force of all marketing is a celebration of a person. And we have these images around us, these famous things around us, these TV programs is always focusing on, on stars and, and all these very prominent folks. Hero worship, though, here's where it's kind of nasty and devastating. Hero worship is vicarious significance. It really is the boastful pride of life. It gives us a sense of importance and power. You know, and, and the tragedy of hero worship is that it is more of an insight into our low self-concept than it is about the person that we're putting on the pedestal. You think that lowly of yourself? You got to have somebody that is a surrogate identity for you? You really have to have their fathead posters, life-size posters or bobbleheads. You, you really got to do that? And this is what Paul is basically saying. Look at you. Come on, man. I, yeah, I want you to admire me. I want you to esteem me. And I want you to esteem Apollos. And I want you to esteem Peter. I, yeah, I get this. It's, it's fine. That's okay. And I'm going to say some words about that near the end. I want you to do that. I'm not saying, but seriously, Really? You, 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 you're going you're gonna to blow up the church over personalities, really? What, what does that say about you? In this text, these two chapters, Paul says that hero worship set makes at least Four statements, and none of them are good. Hero worship makes at least these four statements. And I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you, and then we'll go back and put some meat on the skeleton. Hero worship, number one, expresses carnality. Hero worship, number two, expresses a time-bound perspective. Thirdly, hero worship expresses superficiality. And fourthly, hero worship expresses an exaggerated, distorted view of others. That's what it does. In other words, Paul says hero worship is not real. It's not real. And yet there is this tendency among all of us to disproportionately give people uh, uh, 
the, the type, type of focus adulation that only belongs to Jesus. First of all, hero worship expresses carnality. Uh, we pick it up in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I'll, I'll read this to you to make a few statements here. Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, you want to circle that word flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid, not, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And here's the problem. And even now, you are not ready. Paul introduces two kinds of carnal people. He says, number one, there's innocently carnal. You were innocent. There were times in which you were a babe and you couldn't handle it, and that's nothing wrong with that. You are just innocently carnal. But when he introduces a time element, even now, Boy, you've had time to grow and develop, and you, you've had information and content. Yeah, it's not like you guys are novices to this whole thing. You, you've been exposed. Even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, here's a line. Here's a line. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? And by the way, the expression being merely human is, is, is tied back to verse 14 of chapter 2, and it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're acting like an unbeliever. You're just acting like an unbeliever. My goodness, you have so blown us up. You so put us on pedestals. You so put us way out there and all this kind of stuff. You're, you're just, you're, you're, you're fleshly. And I don't think you know what you're communicating. You, you, you're, you're communicating your own spiritual state. You're not as spiritual as you like to think. Oh, you might have great answers, but by virtue of the fact that you've so blown us up and now we've become sort of like the source of divisions in the church, seriously? Where's that coming from? Where's it coming from? It's coming from a carnal heart. You know, as children grow, they learn to eat different food. They graduate from milk to meat. And personality worship is a sure sign of immaturity and and arrested development. If you're more loyal to an individual than you are to Jesus, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And it's a sure sign of arrested development. One of my favorite Bible teachers is uh, Warren Wiersbe. And commenting on this passage, he, he says it as only he can say it. He makes this observation. He says, a mature Christian uses his gifts as tools to build with, while immature believers use gifts as toys to play with or trophies to boast about. And that's exactly what they were doing here. They were using personalities as trophies to boast about. As if somehow or another, uh, Paul's uh, uh, great pioneering spirit was the place at which you need to worship. Or the way Apollos could turn a phrase and preach the birds out the trees. And he was amazingly articulate that somehow or another he was to be worshipped. Or, or, or the loyalty to Cephas or Peter, one of the original 12 apostles, that somehow or another they were to be elevated in worship. He said, man, alive. This kind of groupy mindset is ridiculous. 
is an expression that you've gotten stalled spiritually. You forgot about the wisdom of God. You forgot about the glories of the cross. And these personalities has, have, 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 have shrouded the cross and the work of Christ. Instead of behavior that was characterized by humility and concern for others and obedience to God, they chose childish, self-centered, divisive behavior. I wish I could say I've never seen this in my life, but I've seen it too much. In a church our size, I've seen some of it here. And it's really amazing. What we focus on is an insight on our spirituality. Who we focus on tells us how far we've gone spiritually. And that's why Paul puts this here. He says, you know, wait a minute. This ain't nothing to brag about, buddy. Yeah, your hero worship, your divisive spirits here, you're, you're elevating us to a place that, man, we, we, didn't, we, don't, we, didn't, we didn't ask to be put there, boy. It expresses carnality. Secondly, um, this, 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 this hero worship also expresses a time-bound perspective. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to pick it up uh, in verses uh, 10 through 15. But prior to that, the Apostle Paul backs up and says, Hey, hey, look, you, just, I, you, you all just need to know the order of things here. Is, whew, whew, you just got this way, you, you know, you're way, you're, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're like at 18, man. Come on back here, buddy. This is, oh, no, 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 look. You, you got to stand here. Uh, our role, you know, I, I, I came here, I planted, uh, somebody else, you know, uh, watered, but God gave the, God gave, God, 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 remember God? God, God gave the increase. We didn't come here as surrogate messiahs. God gave the increase. And then he enters this whole thing. He said, let me tell you how dangerous this is to you. Uh, when you're laden with this hero worship and you're leading with personalities and you're more, more loyal to the gifted people than the God of the gifts, when, you're, when, 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 when you do that kind of thing, what you're really doing is you, you're, you are just erasing, you're erasing eternity and you're not living in light of ultimate eternal accountability. I mean, I'm going to say that again. Let's say it again. Whenever, whenever, whenever you shift your sights to the stuff that God uses rather than God himself, you're focusing on right here and right now. You're taking, you're, you, you have fought, forgotten about ultimate accountability and you've forgotten about an eternal motivation. You say, where do you get that from? Well, wait till you hear these words. And so Paul says here in verse 10 of chapter 3, Speaking to himself, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul did not say that he was the foundation. He said he laid a foundation. He's talking about the fact, yes, yes, it'd be disingenuous and dishonest and false humility to say that God did not use me to plant this church. He did use me to plant this church. Yeah, that's right. He used me. I laid a foundation. I'm the one that did it. And someone else is building upon it. 
I didn't complete the work. That's what he's saying. I laid a foundation. Somebody else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, he's not saying, he's not saying how he builds upon Paul being the foundation because he comes right out and says in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You hear what he's saying here? I'm not the foundation of this church. Peter's not the foundation of this church. Apollos is not the foundation of this church. Jesus is the foundation of this church. Crawford Loritz, this is not Crawford Loritz's church. This is not the elders' church. This is not Bob Roller's church, Art Van Der Veen's church, Joe Ushery's church. This is, and, and whoever will come after, it is not our church. This is God's church. Belongs to him. And don't you ever follow any leader who confuses the two. Belongs to him. And Paul says, I'm telling you, yeah, yeah, I know the contribution I made. Praise God for that. But the foundation is Jesus. And you're building on Jesus, not on personalities. I say that because we've, we, you know, we're into this whole celebrity Christianity stuff right now that's killing us. And, we've, and some of us are feeding this mindset. And our egos have gotten way outside of the corral, way outside of the boundaries. And Paul reminds them. And then he comes to this whole, whole focus here. So I just want you to understand now, we sort of misapply this. I mean, we, we, we apply these verses here, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stone. We talk about general works of any believer's life. And I do think that that's an application here. But in context, what he's talking about is the building materials of the foundation. If personalities are the building material of the foundation, that represents the wood, hay, and stubble. If Jesus is the building material for the foundation, that represents gold, silver, and precious stone. And we got to make sure that our works are in line with the gold, silver, and precious stone and not the wood, hay, and stubble. Because that day will reveal the quality of our works and what we've done. And so thus he says here um, in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, uh, straw, straw, um, each one's work will become manifest for the day. The word day should be capitalized in your Bible. He's speaking of the judgment day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's accountability, and Paul is reminding them that, ho, 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 we, <laughs> don't cul-de-sac this thing, man. This, 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 this street goes through here, buddy. I'm not the one that you're accountable to. Peter's not the one that you're accountable to. Paulus is not the one you're accountable to. We all are accountable to God. So we need, we need gold, silver, and precious stone, which happens to be the enduring quality of the builder's work. Well, the wood, say, is stubble, which is temporary and valueless. And let me just say this to you. My, my more than 40 years of ministry, I have lived long enough and watched enough to, to, see, to see the end game of ministries that have been built on personalities or some little cute strategy, or a pet doctrine. 
They can be very attractional in one generation. They can be very large. But I got to tell you, I've lived long enough to see that these ministries don't really last. They don't last. If they're built on a personality, they're built on strong individual all around about that person, what ends, out, what ends up happening, they may mushroom and explode and this kind of thing. But unless that person really humbles themselves and keeps the direction or changes that and has a focus toward Jesus, after that individual is gone, that work is splintered, greatly reduced, sometimes no longer exists. And what Paul is talking about here, look, you got to be careful how you go about building stuff. Don't build this thing on people. You build it on Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit later on. I'm not talking about being falsely humble and, you know, um, mistreating preachers. I think some of us go to the other extreme of that and don't honor folks. And I'm going to talk more about that later on. I'm not saying that at all. But we can't, we can't, we can't misunderstand the reality here that we're, we're accountable and when we do this hero worship stuff, what we end up doing is that we time-bound our perspective. We just say it's all here right now. Paul says, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you do know you're going to stand before him. And you're going to give an account of whether or not your perspective on life and ministry has been anchored to that which is eternal and enduring we're just bound to this life, platform, recognition, strokes, response, image. If that's the case, it's just going to blow up. Now, I would ask you a question. Who are you building your life on? Who are you building your life on? How are you growing your walk with Christ? And let me just say this to you as a pastor here. This, there are little subtleties to this. You might think, well, no, 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 no. Uh, when, be careful that you don't put do you you don't you don't uh, uh, put more emphasis on a particular strategy or particular ministry. For example, an approach to discipleship. That approach to discipleship that might might have been used of God to bless you is not the same thing as Jesus. Okay. And you got to be careful sometimes you get, you get so tied to a system, so tied to a structure, or so tied to an individual that has blessed you and helped you that you don't differentiate between God and Jesus and that strategy. No, God gives us these things, but nothing replaces who he is. Nothing replaces him. And it's all about Jesus, and that's what Paul is saying here. Don't get, don't get time-bound. Don't get locked in. Keep eternity at your heart, which introduces the third expression or what the dangerous thing of this hero worship, what it says to us. Number three, it expresses superficiality. I... Uh, we're going to take a look at verses 16 and 17 and then down to verses 21 and 23. But I, I just got to tell you, I think as you read these verses and you stand back and think, it's as if Paul, you know, he's not being subtle here. He's saying to the church, um, seriously, are you that shallow? Are you that shallow? Are you that superficial? Really? 
You're that superficial? You, you actually going to tear the church up and be divided with one another because you don't think I'm getting enough attention or Paulus is getting enough attention or Peter's getting enough attention? Are you that small? Are you really using ministry as an extension of your significance? Your value? What is this really all about? And that's what he's saying here. Listen to what he says in, in verse 16 and 17. He says, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It's as if he's saying you, you, in your over-identification with your heroes has called you to devalue the work and purposes of God for you. That's what he's saying. You, don't, you, don't you know who, how valuable you are to God? You're God's temple. God dwells in you. Why, why do you need some surrogate identity? Why do you need somebody else to be a statement of significance for you? Why do you have to borrow their image to make you feel good about yourself? I think that's the reason why in context he goes here. He says, hey, you're, you're God's temple. In other words, he lives in you like he lives in them. All of him is in you and just like all of him is in me. What do you think? Apollos has more God than you? Yeah, honor them, honor us, I get it. But what about you? Every time you do that thing, you insult, you insult God. Every time you navel gaze and you, you, you grovel in, 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 in low self-esteem and you get this old self-pity party. You actually raise, wave your fists in the face of God. And you declare, I'm not valuable. God says, that's a lie. Yes, you are. I can't. Yes, you can. I don't. Yes, you. Yes, you do. And I'm not trying to be some little locker room cheerleader here. But what Paul is telling us is, look, our attitude and outlook and, in, outlook and impact will never be any deeper than we're willing to go. You got to recognize what you have in Jesus. Read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Recognize your position that you have in him and how valuable we are. Psalm 8 and, and, and all the things, all, all of Calvary, what, what God has done. Honor, esteem, others, worship them. Never, never. We are extraordinarily valuable to God. That's what verse 17 is all about. And the question is, why are we throwing away that value by borrowing someone else's significance? Why are we throwing it away? You 
God can and will use you. And I got to tell you, we're our own inhibitors. We are our own inhibitors. We derail ourselves. That's what Paul is saying here. You, you, you do know the irony of your, of, of your hero worship, the irony of all of this, it, that it retards your growth. You know that, don't you? It cements you in superficiality. It makes shallowness permanent. Because you can't get beyond them to get to God. Fellowship, don't be, don't be small people. Don't be little people. We've got to recognize who God is. And he goes on to say this even more directly down in verse 21 through 23. He says, <laughs> so let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Hey, that's what he's saying here. Look, I, I don't know. Look, stop fighting to get the significance you already have. That's what he's saying. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Look, Peter and I don't have a problem with each other. I don't have a problem with Apollos. Apollos doesn't have a problem with people. We don't have a problem. Y'all have the problem. We, we're fine. We're cool. We love each other. We pray for one another. We support each other's ministry. We're, we're there. You are the ones with the problem. Come on, wake up, smell the coffee. All of us belong to you. You don't have to go there. We praise God for however he used us. We're yours. You don't need a party spirit. You don't need to be divisive. He said, everything is yours. You got Christ. You got God. It, it's, it's all yours. Get rid of this stuff, man, and just, just run with the wind toward your back. It's yours. Fellowship, the highway is open. What does God have for you? It's yours. Who's stopping you? Not God. What does God want to do through you? He's able. It's yours. Hey, Paul is masterful here. Let's go after it. I, uh, I'm going to flip this around just a little bit, however. You know, ultimately, God is a source of every blessing and not people. Did you hear what I said? Ultimately, the source, God is a source of every blessing and not people. Some years ago, um, and I'm grateful to God for this man in my life. Some years ago, God used a man to open some incredible doors for me and the ministry that God had given to me. And I greatly valued and appreciated that, greatly. 
However, um, he wanted me to do something that I didn't feel led to do. It wasn't sinful or anything like that. I just did not feel like the Lord wanted me to do it. And he played this card. He said, now Crawford, I just need to remind you of all I've done for you. And I responded, I greatly appreciate it. And I will go to heaven just grateful to God for you. But I, I said these exact words. But listen, man, don't get it twisted. God used you. God used you to be a blessing to me. And if you weren't willing, God would have raised up somebody else to do that. So I want to say to some of us here who maybe have a little controlling side of us and maybe we have a bit of a platform or maybe we have some resources and maybe we help some people, don't ever play the control game with folks. Don't ever use what you've done for them to make them unduly reliant upon you. Because the truth of the matter is, you were just the vessel. And if God wanted to bless that person, he raised up somebody else. So let's be sweet and humble about whatever God does through us. And don't make people dance through hoops and give you, you, you know, make them feel guilty about anything. We're just servants of the Lord. And that's the spirit of what Paul is saying here. Fourthly, what does this say? What does hero worship say? Well, it says number four, you know, first of all, it expresses carnality, expresses a time-bound perspective. It, it expresses superficiality. But he, Paul says, you know, hero worship always expresses an exaggerated, distorted view of others, especially the person that you're worshiping. Always. It's an exaggerated, distorted view of others. And he, I believe he's using himself, although he uses the we here or us, uh, plural here. And, but I'm just going to, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, and I'll be done here. But th- this is some powerful stuff. <laughs> this is some powerful stuff. Paul is saying, okay, listen, listen, you, 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 y'all, y'all talking a lot about me, okay? I want to speak to the Paul Club here. You've passed out brochures about me. You've done your little marketing strategy on me. I'm now a brand there at Corinth, and you know what? you got all this stuff going on there. Uh, let me tell you what I want to be put out there. You want a website about me? You want to say something about me? Okay, here's what I want on that website. This is what I want you to say about me. Let me back up before I get into that and just say this from a little personal experience. You know, the godly, famous people that I've met, it's really interesting. They're, they're, they're really nothing like, and I mean this in the, in the utmost positive way, most of them are nothing like the image that people think of them as. The godly, famous people that I've met they are humbled by the recognition. They really are. They actually never sought greatness. They cultivated faithfulness, and greatness found them. And they're humbled by it. And they, they, they don't ask for a lot of them. Don't, don't ask. They got some nutty prima donna folks. I, I said the godly humble people I know. The godly people, leaders I know. They, they, don't, they don't act any differently. They don't seek special treatment. They're not prima donnas. You ain't got to keep their shrimp chilled at 34 degrees. You know, they, 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 that happens sometimes. You, you, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're not full of themselves. 
Um, 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 they, they are ordinary people when you're with them in private. You almost get disappointed because you think that there's some special habits they go through or disciplines or things that the average person, and no, no, the, the wife gets ticked off at them for leaving their underwear in the, in the bedroom too, and they, they go to the bathroom just like you and I do. They have problems and struggles. They, they're, just, they're just ordinary people. But I tell you, the thing that sets them apart is that they focus on fulfilling God's assignments for them. There's this passion for faithfulness. And this is what Paul is saying about himself. It's remarkable. Notice what Paul says. If you want to put, um, you, you want to get a website for me? Hmm? Yeah, you want to kind of heighten my brand, get brand recognition there in Corinth and that kind of thing? Okay, here's what I want you to say. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. <laughs> oh, listen, these words are powerful. These words are powerful. There's three big words there that you can't miss. Paul says, number one, look, 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 look. Servants. The word servant there stresses subordination and responsibility to a superior. It is the idea, he said, if you want to talk about me, tell them that I'm a servant of Christ, meaning, meaning that I belong to another. This is not Paul's ministry. This is not Paul's church planting gig. This is not Paul's platform. This has nothing to do with me. I belong to another. I am a servant of Christ. And by the way, by the way, he's repeating what he said in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Remember, he said, when I came to you, I decided not to know anything but Christ and him crucified. I put myself in the second position. I, I belong to Jesus. And then he uses this next word. He said, you want, think of me this way. You want, here's the first line, website, okay. This way. You want to brand me there in Corinth? I'm a servant of Christ. And then secondly, he says, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Intentional words here. He says, I'm, I, I am owned by Jesus. And then he says, I'm a steward of the ministry that he's given to me. He says, I don't own it. I manage it. I don't own me and I don't own my ministry. I don't own it. It's not about me. I, I just faithfully manage that which belongs to someone else. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some of us need to be very careful because the way the kingdom of God works is not the same way as your business works or where your company's at. You don't enter ministry with the same mindset. If you think that ministry is all about a career path with Jesus, all about a platform to market yourself, you're going you're gonna to be terribly disappointed and you're going to hurt somebody. Ministry is a whole lot different. We don't own this. We're the stewards of it. It all belongs to Jesus. It is his calling. It's not a pathway for Crawford to get a platform. It's not a pathway for me to call the sack, write books, or this kind of thing. I've done that kind of stuff, but I've done it because I felt led of the Lord to do it. It's not about me. It's not about the individuals. You don't use ministry that way. It is a statement about what God wants done in and through your life and human history, and you're accountable to God to make sure you do it God's way. And so he says, that's who I am. Sorry, I know I disappointed you. 
I know it did. He says, there's one thing I do own. I'm a servant of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, but this one I own. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I own that. Guilty as charged. You want to say something that Paul owns? I own that. I own the responsibility to be faithful. God's called me. There are needs, and I need to be faithful. Would you stop focusing on an image that I'm not trying to project? Will you disband the Paul Club, please? While you're at it, will you help those at Peter's Club to disband? Thank them with the Paul's Club. Because they're the same with me. These brothers are just servants. They're just stewards. Now, having said that, let me just wrap it up by saying, okay, what about perspective? I wrestled with this whole message because, you know, the Bible is full of words about honoring people. And I will say this to you. And I say this to you, and I don't, I don't mean this, and you all treat me really kind and nice here, so I, there's no freight behind this statement here. Fellowship, y'all, I mean, you just a great, you, you encourage me, and the kind things you do for me, me and Karen are just wonderful. But I will say this. It is a shame before God that the worst treated people, now you, 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 hear, you hear some pastors who abuse their platform, but the least appreciated, worst treated professionals are ministers and pastors. That's a fact. That's the reason why, what is it? Thousands of them leave the ministry every month in the United States. Thousands. It's a tough gig. And so, so, you know, <laughs> a lot of them don't feel the bennies of what, what I'm talking about here. Now, having said that, let me give five perspectives on what do you do with all of this. Well, the first thing I would say is honor and respect those who minister to you. You know, don't go to the other extreme. He, he, he's talking about hero worship, but he's not talking about not honoring them. In fact, Paul says later on, in fact, you, you, and I'm saying this because I'm, I'm, I'm just repeating him, you give double, double honor to those who preach and teach among you. He says, honor them. Yes, he said, honor your leaders. Number two, esteem others for their faithfulness. Esteem them for that. Write them notes. Tell them how grateful you are. He's not knocking that at all. Put wind in their sails. Thirdly, encourage those you admire to continue to be a blessing to others. Be their cheerleaders, but just don't be their worshipers. There's a balance here. Be their cheerleaders. Encourage them. Bless them and help them and thank them for being a blessing. And, and just continue, man. A standing ovation, great cloud of witnesses. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Number four, focus on their godly characteristics and traits and then emulate those things. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not hero worship. He is talking about, he is talking about look at what they exhibit. Look at the godly stuff that they exhibit. Look at the thing, that, and, and yes, admire them and admire that, but just don't try to beat them. 
you take those things and you, you place them in your heart and life because they're good things. You, you learn from somebody else's prayer life or how they make decisions or how they share their faith or how they go about studying the Word of God or how they relate to their family. Those are good things to learn. And that's not hero worship. Yeah, take those traits and you use them. Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. The reason why it's there is to motivate us, all these great men and women of faith, snapshots, biographical snapshots, because we need to be like them in their faith. Do that. And the fifth thing that I would say is stay on your path. Did you hear what I said? You're the temple of God, Paul says. All things are yours. Yeah, God, there's something God wants you to do. Stay on your path. Don't try to be the people you admire. Emulate their traits and characteristics, but don't try to be the people you admire. Stay on your path. Don't plagiarize an identity. Just stay where you are. This is some hard but very important stuff. I think too many of us have wasted our lives and wasted a lot of time either miring in self-pity and insignificance and making others greater than they needed to be in our walk and relationship with God and placing ourselves on hold. And the tragedy is there's vision, there's dreams, there's plans, there's impact, there's things that God wants to do through you that only you can do. And ironically, your heroes of the faith are standing in the way of Jesus. And that should not be. That should not be. Let's stand together. Have the elders and Stephen ministers and staff members who are in this service will be up front. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, pray that we hold these things in tension. Pray that we do. Um, we want to be people who are centered on Jesus, who love him, and we keep the vision of the cross unclouded, clear, focused, and we pursue him. Father, thank you for the grace of God, your love and mercy in our lives, and thank you, O oh God, for these words from your servant, the Apostle Paul, to our hearts. Hard stuff, Father, but necessary for us to hear. In our society and world that celebrates substance over depth and reality, uh, all of us can either be jaded and cynical or be fooled and manipulated. And Father, may we not bring that stuff into your house and your kingdom and your church but may we be people who love our leaders and love those and honor those who bless us, but who always knows, know the difference between honor and worship. Thank you, God, for your grace. Work in our hearts and lives. Give us a great week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.